0: Lee Horton.
1: Hey, it's Lee. Welcome to Business Problem Solver, and welcome to the second mini episode in the not just an international author series mark Graben is the uh, the amazing guest that i bring you today i've followed mark's work for a long time and as you will see in this episode he is definitely not just an international author if you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast please do uh, it helps me bring amazing guests like mark closer to us all have fun Hey, it's Lee, welcome to Business Problem Solved. Today I have the immense pleasure of chatting with Mark Graben, multi-book author, multi-podcast host, consultant, coach, speaker, and all-round nice guy. Mark, how are you?
2: (laughs) I'm fine, Lee, how are you today?
1: Yeah, really good, thank you, really good. So thank you for taking time out of your schedule to uh, to have a chat with me today. but I guess to start with, for those people who don't know who Mark is, firstly, where have they been? And secondly, who is Mark and how has he got to sit in that seat today?
2: Yeah, well, thanks, Lee. Um, so a little, you know, my background in a nutshell, uh, I am an industrial engineer by undergraduate education. I thought I was going to have a career in manufacturing. Uh, I, I really enjoyed that. I, I worked in manufacturing for 10 years, I took a bit of a pause to do um, graduate degrees in engineering in business. But that was, again, I thought in the pursuit of that career in manufacturing leadership roles. But then in 2005, I had a good opportunity actually to, uh, I, I, you know, I didn't know if it was a temporary detour or it, it turned out to be a, a little bit more permanent of a shift where I had the opportunity to start working in healthcare, applying problem-solving lessons, leadership methods from other industries into healthcare. So that's been my main focus for 15 years. Uh, I, as you mentioned, I've had the chance to write some books, uh, a couple of books on healthcare improvement. My most recent book, which uh, I'll hold up here, is uh, Measures of Success. Yeah. And this is the first book that I wrote for a broader business management audience. So uh, I write, I do uh, consulting and coaching. I do speaking, um, I'm involved in a startup software company called Kinexus, or it, it's about to hit its 10th birthday. So it's not so much of a startup anymore. And then um, I do a lot of podcasting and I've been doing that for over 15 years. But during the wow. pandemic, being home and not traveling, um, I actually started a couple of new podcast series, including one you were a guest on called My yeah. Favorite Mistake.
1: Amazing. I mean, so I guess it would have been an easier question to ask you. What What do you not do, Mark? Because um, <laughs> I, don't draw, is- I don't draw. I don't sing. <laughs>
2: There's a lot I don't do.
1: <laughs> yeah. Amazing. So um, when you said you got into, into improvement and then uh, into healthcare, was it is it primarily healthcare where, you've, where you're focused? Is that is that where you've been?
2: Yeah, that's been my focus since 2005. Um, I yeah. do occasionally work uh, with people in other industries because I think it's good to just kind of, I think, keep fresh perspectives. And yeah. I learn more from working in different areas and um, whether that's um, sometimes, you know, I, mean, I do work with um, the software company Kinexus to help them from a, sales and marketing perspective um, I'm, I'm sort of a advisor for the employees to, to help them learn about continuous improvement so um, I, I've really that's been um, a major focus is helping leaders in different industries create a culture of continuous improvement so I've helped people with that in healthcare pharmaceuticals and biotech um, manufacturing um, the nonprofit, sector. I've done some volunteer work. I mean, these these are very uh, applicable lessons and um, it's good to bring those back out of healthcare sometimes.
1: Completely. So so for somebody that is as experienced as you are, and I'm going to ask you like probably the the question that everybody wants to know, what's the secrets of continuous improvement in in your eyes, Mark?
2: Well, I I don't know if these are secrets, but I I think sometimes they're these these approaches run counter to what we might have been taught in business school or what might have been reinforced in the organizations we work in you know i think the old traditional mental model basically is like as a leader the higher up you go in an organization the more infallible you must be like well that's not realistic no offense to anybody um the high you know the old mental model says the higher up we go the more answers we have to have And then that actually runs counter to effective problem solving um, where the continuous improvement models that I practice and I I teach um, are are in a way based in uh, a lot of it's associated with Toyota and other companies where respect is given to the people doing the work, that they can be creative, that they see what the problems are, they can help brainstorm and test and evaluate possible solutions. And the role of a leader shifts to being more of a coach and a facilitator instead of being the one that has all the answers. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. And yeah. when did you decide that
1: you wanted to start to share your lessons and your message? Because what I've, I've worked with and I've, I've spoken to a number of um, continuous improvement change professionals mm-hmm. and you are by far more prolific in kind of sharing your message lessons in various different formats than, than anybody else, I think, um, or anybody else that, that I've come across. When did you decide to share that and, and what was the point when you went, actually, I'm going to do this?
2: Well, that, that's a good question. I think in a way, I think I'm following um, the example set by those who helped teach and mentor me over the years. And I think in this, this space, when we talk about quote unquote lean manufacturing or the Toyota production system or lean healthcare there, I I think there's, there's this community of sharing this spirit of, of sharing that, you know, I, you know, I wouldn't claim to have invented anything. It's not proprietary uh, to me. So why keep it close to the vest as they say. Yeah. And um, it's funny, we still say that even if we don't wear vests, but like, (laughs) why would you keep that as a secret? Like I've I've had people share things with me and I guess I feel an obligation to try to pass it on. Um, You know, so through writing and through webinars and through podcasting, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, I guess examples and stories and methodology I give away for free, but you know, there still are people then that want to work with me in, in a way that creates income uh, for yeah. my business. And, and so I, you know, I think there, there's this, uh, again, there's this spirit of learning and sharing. And some of those examples come from retired people I know who worked at Toyota and retired from Toyota, where Toyota not only encourages them, but it, it, it's almost an obligation to go and share and teach what they learned in Toyota, for the betterment of um, other organizations, for the better the betterment of communities, and and so I guess I've just been exposed to enough of that philosophy of you know sharing is good, yeah. and so I, I I try to do that myself.
1: Yeah, and you do it really successfully as well. If you look at if you use the metric of followers or size of audience, or and 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 that's one thing that I see. That you've got that a lot of other people who who try to share their message don't necessarily have as as large a following. Um, is that because in your introduction you said fifteen years you've been doing it? Is it mm-hmm. purely length of time, or is it quality of message, or is it is
2: it something else? What 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 do you, what do you think the difference is? Uh, that's a good question. Some of it is longevity and and staying with it. I mean, like for example, I mean I could go back and pull up charts. Uh, when I started my blog in 2005, or when I started my podcast in 2006, building an audience is often a very slow, linear climb. And it requires um, some patience, especially, you know, waiting for Google to start putting you high up in the list of results. Um, That takes some time and there's no quick, easy success for, for that. So, I mean, I think yeah. I mean, it's a good question of, uh, it could be the content. Um, it could be, you know, I try to synthesize things. Uh, I will take credit for, you know, if, uh, even if I'm not inventing methods, I, I think I'm good at connecting dots and, and pulling in different methodologies to create something that maybe has a unique perspective that is still in a way familiar to yeah. people who have learned lean in other places. Um, you know, I, I, there, there's a time when I, when I'm opinionated, um, I, I try to, I try to stay positive, but you know, there are times where I'll, I'll be a critic. I try to do so constructively and, you know, I, I, I have friends of mine and colleagues, you know, and I ask them like, if, if my tone ever veers into somehow, stating or suggesting that like, you know, i nobody else gets it, but me, like, I think that's really dangerous. Yeah. And I, and I, and I, I cringe when I hear others implying or even some, sometimes directly saying everyone else has it wrong. You should listen to me. I think like, to me, that's, that's a red flag. That's something, that's something more like a cult leader would say.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So and- I
2: ask my friends, like, if I ever, like there, there's times. Okay, fine. I'm more negative than some people might prefer, but I'm not going to fall in the trap of well, nobody else understands this because that's just not true. Yeah. Does it
1: work for you professionally? So, and what I mean by this is, you are prolific in in sharing your message, your story, and your lessons via your different podcasts, your different mm-hmm. books. But then you've also got to uh, put food on the table as well. Yeah. And and I know there's a, there's a lot of consultants and coaches currently that. Uh, like people, people don't want to, or people want to improve, but they're trying to survive currently in the current climate. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so, does it work professionally for you as well?
2: I think it has. Um, am I doing everything I could to maximize my revenue and business income? Probably not, but I'm I'm comfortable and I'm happy with the approach um, that 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 I take. Um, there are times when uh, you know a blog post or a podcast has led to an I- invitation to come do a paid speaking engagement. You know, so for me, the the idea of sharing, um, hopefully, you know, good compelling content for free, um, is helpful to people, and then to some of them, they may become a client. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I do follow like not as rigorously as some, but there's an approach called, uh, it's either sometimes referred to as content marketing or inbound marketing. Like I don't spend, and you know, I don't carve out time on my schedule to pick up the phone and cold call executives at hospitals. And to, like, I'm not doing a lot of advertising or things people might call outbound marketing. I'm, I'm following a strategy that tries to make myself be found. Yeah be helpful. And, and through content in a way, you know, that builds relationships. It might be a bit one-sided, but if someone hears my voice in different podcasts and I've had people reach out at some point and they say, well, I, I kind of feel like I know you already. So are there ways, you know, can you come in and do this training or we know enough about you and your philosophy? Like we feel like this is a good fit. So yeah, it, it can be, it can be good for business.
1: Yeah. Good. What's what's the dream for you, Mark?
2: Well, What's the dream? Where's it all heading? What's it for? Oh boy, that's a, uh, that is a big picture question. Um, You know, I want to keep learning. Um, I am enough of an idealist where I really would like to see major change in healthcare. And that's not just here in the United States where we have our own particular challenges and problems. I'm, I'm sure you're uh, you've, you've seen enough in, in the news and um, even, even there in the UK, you know, people rightfully point out that the American healthcare system is the most expensive in the world per capita, and we don't get great results for it. But when we look at in particular, the, the, the patient safety problem or patient safety crisis of, you know, how many patients are harmed or even, you um, you could use the word killed by preventable healthcare errors that's a problem that exists in the united states and in canada and in, in the uk and germany and different countries where like the way healthcare is delivered and the way that that can be very error prone through miscommunications and disconnects between silos in an organization like unfortunately those are pretty universal problems whether or not you have universal health coverage, yeah, you know, so I, I would love to see, you know, there, there are people I know in what's sometimes called the patient safety movement. I would love to see zero harm. You know, that's a big audacious goal. And that's one that's really important to me. So if I had to pick one, you know, I, I would love to see us get, you know, even if it's not zero harm, let's reduce it by 95%. Yeah, I I believe that's achievable. We it'll take some time, but we can get there. Yeah, oh, um, Because and the reason why I
1: asked the question is mm-hmm. when I see somebody as prolific as yourself, that um, multi podcast, multi book author, um, coach, consultant, speaker, and. Uh, I, I, I'm trying to work out whether you're joining the dots, whether you're, you're going with it and wherever, like wherever it goes and seeing what opportunities arise before, or whether there is a plan and, and kind of you're going to join the dots looking backwards and everything will be connected. But at this point in time, you don't know how yeah. they're connected.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a, it's, it's a good question. I, I don't have like this, you know, perfect 20-year master plan. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I try to plan far enough ahead but at the same time you know trying to stay open to opportunities that arise opportunities to learn opportunities to work with different people um you know i think my my career in different ways is an illustration of um uh what was the phrase i was going to use um you know uh sometimes you just have to um, take advantage of an opportunity as it presents itself even if that wasn't part of a plan yeah, um, yeah the, the one expression this is what wasn't what i was going to use specifically but sometimes people say it's better to be lucky than good yeah. and like i've worked hard and there's some element of luck in terms of good opportunities that i've been able to take advantage of but i think there's another expression i, I would endorse is um, luck favors the prepared Right. So I, you know, so I, there are times when I like this opportunity to work into healthcare, some of that was right place, right time Yeah. with me and my wife. And we were moving to Texas because of her job. And that made me open and required that I was going to be open to new job possibilities. And then it turns out that next job was a career shift. And so some of that was fortunate timing, but I was also in a position where I felt confident taking that opportunity. Cause I had worked in different settings. I hadn't worked in healthcare before, but you know, right or wrong, I felt confident that I could figure out how, you know, how to make that transition and, and how to make a contribution in a completely different industry.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And two or three times so far, you've, you've mentioned that, that you like to learn or the opportunities for learning and you learn continuously learning. Have you always been like that throughout your life or is it um, is it a particular subject that you're continuously learning about?
2: Which came so, I mean, first? Think, yeah. I mean, the work I do, so there's kind of a combination of things. Like the 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 deep topic that I've I've been learning about and practicing and trying to continue to get better at for 25 years now is this quote unquote lean methodology that I know you know about, and I, you know, uh, maybe not all everyone in the audience does, but, you know, it's a very rich field of study and practice. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, I've, like, as, as a kid, you know, like, even through high school, um, I was interested in many different things. So math, science, computers, that led to me being an engineer. I was also really into music, like, I was really serious about maybe studying music at a college level. And then I decided um, that wasn't the right path. And I was also always really into writing and and media, newspapers, and at one point I wanted to be a newspaper writer. Um, So I think part of that that's extended here into my career is learning new media like blogging and social media and podcasting and getting exposed to other fields like psychology and counseling. In particular, the last five or six years, I've read more books about counseling than I have about lean. And it's not that I don't have anything else to learn about lean, but there are situations you you, you come into and in work about um, helping people adapt to change. And, and sometimes the best lessons for that come out of other disciplines in other fields. So yeah, I mean, I think I've, I've had curiosities in different fields and and talents in enough different fields to, to not, I don't know, some, some might look at my career and say, it's been very narrow, but I could look at it and make an argument that in some ways it's been very broad.
1: Yeah, no, completely. And I was having a conversation with somebody just this, this past week about there's, there's probably, um, and there's different skills of thought, but there's probably like three different levels of, of knowledge that you can that you can have. It's like a, the, the data part of it. So like if we just talk about snow, for example, snow is, is white, it's cold, and... Um, and it happens outside but then if you go and play outside then the second layer of, of knowledge is about you can make snowballs from it but you might need somebody to help you roll it that ball in the snow and make a snowman and then yeah. the third layer of knowledge is like if you live in it like the Eskimos they've got like 50 different words for snow and and <laughs> and, and they've got a, a different particular type of snow for a building and a different type of snow for different things so I think um, like you say, you can go really, really narrow, but then what you're also doing is you're broadening your um, your awareness of that particular concept as well by adding all of these things on. And and some people go really narrow on something like snow, but then other people sure. go really broader, but we're still within the same in the within the same remit, don't they? When oh go on, sorry, i Yeah, you,
2: no, that, that going broad might be somebody who studies weather. Yes where snow is one particular yes, winter storms are one component yes. of weather. Right. And yeah. uh, there, and then there might be people who study climate, which is a little bit more long-term focused as opposed to predicting whether it's going to snow tomorrow or not.
1: Yeah, completely, completely. And when you write your books, so how many books have you, have you written
2: now? So I've written uh, lean hospitals. Yeah. A book called Healthcare Kaizen, which I co-authored with my friend Joe Schwartz. Then we did a variation of that called The Executive Guide to Healthcare Kaizen. So technically, that's a third book um, with a lot of overlap with the second. Um, I publ—I I wrote and public, edited and published uh, an anthology book called Practicing Lean that had contributions from 15 other authors. Yeah. That was the first time I really played the role of publisher um, and then I, I've done this book, Measures of Success, which I wrote and published.
1: Yeah, got you. So
2: call it five, yeah. like four and Yeah, a half, five. <laughs> and, and when you've written those,
1: have they been based on where you are at that point in time trying to solve a particular problem? Um, or have they been just because you've, you've had the idea to write it? What, how, how have you got to the concept of writing?
2: Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's problems that I've been working on, but then trying to identify that there's that there are other people out there struggling with similar types of problems. Yeah. Um, so I think um, you know lean hospitals when that was first published in two thousand and eight, you know, it, it was it, the lean methodology was still not widely adopted in healthcare. So part of the problem was, uh, you know, readers, potential readers who say, well, I've heard about this approach. I need to learn about it because I know other hospitals are using it. Maybe this is helpful for me. You know, I use the subtitle of the book to try to emphasize what I thought was most important. So, you know, the title again is Lean Hospitals. And then the subtitle is Improving Quality, Patient Safety, and Employee Engagement. Yeah. Yeah. but then, uh, you know, the other books, Healthcare Kaizen, people struggle with, um, you know, how do we really create a culture of continuous improvement, which is a, a sub, a, a large subset. If lean is a broader organizational approach, this Kaizen model of continuous improvement, it's not just a thin slice. It's, it's arguably half of the lean methodology is engaging everybody in continuous improvement. And then um, practicing lean was more of like, let's just collect stories about mistakes people made early in their careers, which in a way, that's where some of the interest uh, <laughs> developed to do a podcast called My Favorite Mistake, building on yeah. that theme with people in other industries. And then the book Measures of Success, so you can see the, the cover again in the subtitle, and sort of uh, in six words, trying to summarize the main point here react less, lead better, improve more. And, you know, the the cover has this graphic of a roller coaster and that illustrates maybe what some of the current condition is. Metrics go up, metrics go down. And like we're on a, a roller coaster, people get really excited. People get scared. People think, oh, it's going great. No, then we get upset. And so this book shares methods that to me have proven very useful to try to smooth this out a little bit, or learn it, you know, kind of learning how not to get too excited about every up or down in the metric. We want to get off that roller coaster and, uh, in a way, make better use of our time as leaders yeah. instead of just reacting to everything. Like the, that'll keep us so busy that we can't do any real improvement. Yeah. So that book, who is it? Who is it written for? Managers, leaders, executives, business owners. Yeah, Is entrepreneurs. It, anybody anybody who has a business where they're measuring something and tracking it over time.
1: Yeah, got you. So, if if you were to have a, a lead, one of those leaders in front of you, how how would you get them to react less and to because that's what I see a lot. I see people reacting a lot to um, to every slight movement in right. in performance. So, how does somebody react less?
2: So, there's a statistical methodology. That I've learned. Um, Don Wheeler is a statistician who um, I, I'll give the credit to. Um, it's a methodology that helps us distinguish, it separates signal from noise in a data set. So I can, uh, the book has a lot of charts. So yeah. I'll hold this up and it'll be hard for the podcast listeners. Yeah. But yeah. if yeah. you have a metric that's just fluctuating around an average yeah, and it's fluctuating within, A very predictable range, these red lines that we call lower and upper limits. These are calculated based off of the typical performance of a metric. This one data point that is below that lower limit, that is absolutely a time to react because that data point is not driven by random fluctuation in the metric. Like something significant has changed, whether that's in this case uh, for the worse Or for the better, we need to make sure as a business that we understand the cause and effect between what caused that metric to get worse so that we can correct the problem or learn from it. So like this might be a case where there was one really abnormally bad week and then the problem quote unquote fixed itself. Well, we better understand what the cause was. This is a time to look for maybe a root cause of that data point so that we can then prevent that bad week from happening again right so that data point requires explanation where this one that's slightly below average i would say don't waste your time trying to explain that data point is noise this one that's outside those limits is signal yeah so without without
1: plotting it on a graph and and, and demonstrating that how do you how do you get a leader to to change their behavior to stop uh-huh. reacting from the the slight deviations.
2: This is why I've been studying uh, counseling and psychology (laughs) because doing the math for a chart like this, for this process behavior chart, the math is easy. The behavior change is very difficult. Yeah. Especially when there are habits that have been reinforced for years, if not decades. So why should a leader change their behavior? There are often, Kind of uh, you know, like false cause and effect understanding that 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 occurs, and sometimes bad habits get reinforced, right? So, an so example would be the behavior around having a data point that's slightly worse than average. Well, you get upset and you yell at people, and then performance gets better, and you think, "Oh, well, clearly they tried harder because I yelled at them." Yeah. When that might not be happening at all, they might have actually been trying a little bit less. They 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 might have been um, dejected by you yelling at them, but performance improved anyway. Because it's just it's sometimes you know every metric fluctuates. It's not going to be the exact same performance every day. So then the leader praises people for doing better, and then performance drops, and then the leader learns. Well, I can't ever say anything positive because then they slack off. Yeah, right. So those habits get reinforced, and you know there are exercises. I think experiences matter a lot. So there's an exercise that was really shared by the statistician and management guru, if you will, um, W. Edwards Deming called, uh, there's, there's uh, an experience called the red bead game. I don't have you, have you ever been able to participate in this league? Yes. Yes. So the red bead game, it's, it's a, simulation it's it's a game there's some role playing involved an experience like that i found is far more eye-opening than me trying to lecture and convince people
1: yeah yeah no completely yes yeah, it's, it's yeah uh, completely agree because i think people have got to see it haven't they in a in a, in a different context to their normal business performance because you've got to break that habit or break what the what they would ordinarily really do the cue for them behaving in a particular way is that sure. trend line Um, so by, by giving them a different experience can, can show them a different, a different way. Good. Good. So what's your hopes with, with the book?
2: Well, um, you know, this, this methodology, unlike the lean methodology, where I think there was a lot of interest in lean and then people go search for a book. Yeah. Um, this book is a little bit more of an uphill battle, um, of trying to help convince people that. There is a better way yeah. that the way they're managing now might not be uh, ideal. So, you know, the book's been out about two years. Um, I was frankly happy that anybody bought it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah you yeah. don't know, right? It's, it's a, like any startup venture. You're making a prediction that I cannot just create something, but I can create something that people will buy and read and then more importantly, use Right. So I've heard a lot of success stories from people who have bought it and read it and used it. And, you know, I'm just trying to help share some of those examples and, and open more people's eyes yeah. to this methodology. So this is going to be a long, gradual <laughs> uphill battle. But, you know, this, this is something I was really fortunate to learn 25 years ago. So, again, there's part of that spirit as well. Yes, I'm selling books and yes, I sell services, but some of it is just that obligation to kind of pass on something that I was fortunate to learn.
1: Yeah. Yeah. When, when you introduced the book as well, you said that you published it. So is that, so is that
2: self-published or have you got your own publishing house? Uh, you, you could say I have my own publishing house. So my own business that's incorporated, um, like if I do a speaking engagement for somebody, they pay my corporation Yeah, Um, that corporation is technically the publisher, but what I did in terms of what you you can call it self publishing or establishing your own publishing house, um, I can hire contractors to do uh, I don't have self publishing doesn't mean do it everything yourself. Yeah, yeah, it's just like when I've had books published through a traditional publisher, they outsource certain things.
1: Yeah, yeah, gotcha.
2: And there are a lot of advantages um, to self-publishing, uh, many, many, many advantages. There are some advantages to a traditional publisher, but I think for the types of books that I publish, that I've written and now publish, I think, you know, for me, going the self-publishing route has been a good decision.
1: Yeah, no good stuff. So have you got any other books that you've started to write that are maybe on uh, the way?
2: No, I, I am trying to figure out how to distill and consolidate the stories and lessons from the podcast, my favorite mistake. Yeah. i um, trying to look for patterns and themes and maybe do some research. And, you know, there are some really interesting stories there. One of my early guests, it was one of my first 10 guests, asked me when we stopped recording, the guests asked, uh, are you doing this podcast because you're writing a book about it? <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, no, I hadn't really thought that. I mean, the book Practicing Lean was on a similar theme of not being ashamed of sharing a mistake you made early in your career to help reemphasize that, what well, this happens. Yeah. And, you know, we, we don't want to set this expectation where everyone has to give off this appearance of being perfect. Um, you know, and, and it's a reminder to people like myself who have 25 years of experience here to be uh, kind and empathetic to somebody who is new at this and makes what you might call a beginner's mistake? Yeah, yeah. No, we, we, we were all beginners. Yeah, no,
1: completely. And, and I, I, I love that what you've got there because what you've got, you got, you're getting people to to admit to making mistakes first, which mm-hmm. which a lot of people don't do, but then positively framing them as well, so they they've right. seen it. It's they've got good good that has come from it. But then what you've also got the opportunity to do is to understand the common trends of Mm -hmm. these things to then help other people. So I think, yeah, I think that would be an amazing, amazing book to uh, if you, if you can distill it and and identify the commonalities, I think that would, that would be an amazing, amazing thing to, uh, to see and do.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you. So that that's a possibility. Um, Yeah. We'll see. We'll see what else comes like writing a book is funny. Like there are different ideas bouncing around inside an author's head and then at some point it gets to a point where you feel strongly enough that okay i'm i'm going to do this
1: yeah at what point did you call yourself an author and the reason why i say that is because um Uh i spoke to a couple of people who've written a single book and and they started with going i wouldn't call myself an author yet i've just written a book um At what
2: at what point did you call yourself an author um i think uh, some yeah uh It's funny. I've talked to a lot of authors and I've interviewed a lot of authors and there are two categories. One is the, I'm glad I wrote that and I don't want to ever do it again. That's my book. It's been helpful to me. I'm proud of it, but no, that, that was, you know, it was difficult to get it there. And then there are other authors who realize that first book is fulfilling and fun and interesting and what, and then There's, you know, that, so some of it I think is, yeah, writing a second book makes you an author. Yeah. And then some of it is mindset. Like, do you enjoy writing or not? Like I enjoy writing. Um, There's a role for editors, right? And you have to get feedback and adjust, but it's my fingers on the keyboard. There are some people who don't enjoy the writing, but they have great things to share. So they may use a writer who interviews them and then puts it into book form, like, yeah. I, I think that's great. I, I don't look down upon that. There's no shame in that. Um, so, you know, there are, you know, it's just different aptitudes and different things that that different people find enjoyable. So um, I would, I would, for me, I think that first book is where I would have said, okay, I'm an author. Like before that I was writing articles. Yeah. I was blogging. Right. And, and so like, you know, blogging, no offense to any other bloggers, like, you know, blogging is one thing and that's fine. And it's, it has its place, but you know, a book is a different, a different challenge. So I probably started calling myself an author after the first one.
1: Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. So I knew name? I
2: would write more.
1: Yeah. And, and, and that comes across as well, because you've got a passion for it and, and you, you love to do it. And and yeah. uh, so I think you've got a passion for just for more than writing as well. It's, it's about sharing the lessons. So, I, yeah. I, so you've put, you've got as many podcasts as you have books, haven't you? <laughs> so you've got different mediums to share, um, your messages.
2: And and those podcasts become increasingly video based yeah. over time. Um, I've had to get, I don't love being on camera anymore. I I don't love the sound of my own voice. Some might challenge me on that. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I have to get comfortable being on camera because that's a different way of reaching different people.
1: Yes. Yeah, completely. And, and one thing to your advantage as well is, I mean, you've still got a lovely head of hair. What's your secret with that?
2: <laughs> um, it's all genetics, right? Lee? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. My, my hair started turning um, relatively gray and relatively white at a young age. So um, on my dad's side of the family, my dad's mother had thick hair and then my dad's dad by the time he was 50, had a beautiful white head of hair. Yeah. So my hair is kind of a combination of those two sides of his family.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, look look at you. Look at you. I've got her envies. I'm looking at you, Mark, if I'm honest.
2: (laughs) 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 So so what's next for Mark Graben? Um, What's next? I mean, part of it is figuring out, you know, as we reach almost 12 months of pandemic mode, trying to figure out, all right, what happens when uh, we're able to start traveling again? I know some people have been traveling for work during this, but in healthcare, you know, hospitals have been very sensitive to not having additional outsiders and they're surviving and they're trying to just get through the day and, yeah. you know, but there will be a time and a place where you know, can start traveling. And so one thing I need to figure out, and this is, you know, kind of a personal thing to figure out is how much do I want to travel? Again, yeah. I've, I've rather enjoyed being at home and um, spending more time with my wife over the past year than any other year in our previous 18 plus years of uh, of being married or, you know, so, you know, it's a time to sort of reevaluate, like, you know, what's important. My wife's always been important, but yeah. traveling <laughs> and, and being away, um, you know, and, and it's a matter of thinking, like, what's important, how much... Do I want to travel? And then I think it's thinking about different ways of doing the work. How much do we have to travel? I think the pandemic year has taught us we can do a lot through virtual meetings. We probably can't do everything through virtual meetings. But, you know, I think instead of, let's say, being on site with a client three weeks out of four, maybe it only has to be one week out of every four. Yeah. And so that's part of what I need to figure out. And then you know, because healthcare has been in such a challenging situation, um, you know, I have been trying to open doors um, to do work with people in other industries, because a lot of it really comes down to the people, right? I have a passion around healthcare, but there are fun things that you can do with people in other in, in other industries.
1: Yeah, no, perfect, perfect. And talking about fun things as well. Um, uh, I normally um, finish with this question. So what what are you having for your tea today? So tea um, is evening meal, dinner, whatever, whatever you would call your, 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 uh, your, your big meal at the end of the day. What, what are you
2: having today? I honestly have no idea. I have not, I have not planned that far ahead. Um, I can tell you on Wednesday, um, a, a good friend of mine has his birthday today and Wednesday yeah. we are going to have dinner together. Um, yep. in, in Texas, we, uh, people can go to restaurants in limited capacity. I don't do that a lot, but um, yeah. So I'll be doing that. It'll be a Japanese restaurant on Wednesday night, actually. Hey, very nice. Very nice. So that, so, that I know. Do you cook in your house? I do. I really, I, I do like to cook. Oh, wow. so between between uh, my wife and I, I, I'm the primary chef, if you will. Yeah, because you know it's something I enjoy, and you know to me, cooking brings a sense of kind of short-term accomplishment. Where a lot of times, work-wise, we're working on things that have a much longer time horizon, like a book or a consulting project. And you know, dinner has a nice beginning, middle, end, done. Like yeah, that. so I, I I I'm not uh, I don't do uh, carpentry or projects like that so the one way i like to literally get my hands dirty is cooking
1: yeah no amazing amazing and and i hope your wife appreciates this, this such a good catch that you are <laughs> if i'm honest <laughs>
2: she she appreciates it and um she's she's you know she obviously has a lot of talents and things that she brings to um uh to to our lives uh, she's she's good at helping with the cleanup
1: yeah,
2: <laughs> And the menu prep. So, and, and, so figuring out what to eat in a way makes her the executive chef.
1: Yes. Yeah. And I'm there the chef
2: you. to cuisine.
1: <laughs> there you go. There you go. You've got, you got your own clarity of roles. Though. That's important. That's important. Yeah. So if, if people wanted to know more about Mark um, and, and, the, and your books and, and working with you, and where would they go? What would they do? What would they see?
2: Yeah. Uh, my main website is markgraben.com. Uh, M-A-R-K-G-R-A-B, as in Bravo, A-N, like November. My name is fairly short, but uh, it's easy to misspell. Um, People can find my website there, which has links to the different projects I'm involved in. Um, I'm easy to find on LinkedIn is probably the main social media platform for me. Uh, Mark Graben, at least, is a uh, unique enough name. I'm easy to find.
1: Yeah. No, perfect. No, perfect. Honestly, I just want to say thank you so much for the opportunity to chat with you today. It's been an absolute pleasure well, to understand yeah. more about, about you, what you do, how you go about it as well, and, and some of your key lessons. So I've re- thoroughly enjoyed this uh, this opportunity and I hope to uh, to keep in touch and, and to chat with you again, Mark.
2: Yeah, yeah, I hope so. And and thank you for asking Questions that uh, well, it's going to give me a lot to think about even after we're done with the recording here. So I appreciate uh, it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure whether that's a positive or a negative. No, it's a but... good thing. It's a good thing. <laughs> no,
2: <laughs> very much. Very a much good Mark. Thing. Uh, Thank you, you, Lee. you
1: enjoy your dinner. <laughs> All right.
0: <laughs> thanks for listening to Business Problems Solved. You can contact Lee on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lee Horton, the Business Problem Solver or via visiting www.leehorton.com for more content and to solve your business problems. And remember, saying you know how to do it is
2: not doing it.